Hi, my name is Jo Willems. I'm the cinematographer on Finch, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello, and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Jo Willems, director of photography of Finch on Apple TV+. Plus. Yo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I just finished watching the film today. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know all of you guys listening and watching will absolutely love it as well. And there's so much to get to. Before we get there, I just want to very quickly mention MZ Empowering Filmmakers. MZ is our sponsor for this episode. And I also want to encourage you to follow us on your favorite podcast app, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. All things Go Creative Show at Go Creative Show. Com. So, yo, know, I think when I was watching the film this morning, what struck me the most is you, it's a sci-fi film, but you don't really know it is. Like, it, it doesn't feel like a science fiction film, but it very much is. Can you just kind of get us up to speed for the people that may not know what the film is? Just a little bit of background on what is the story, what is going on, and then we'll talk about the visual style that you employed sure. for it and why. So. First things first, what is Finch? Finch is really a story about a scientist who lives in the apocalypse. It's the end of the world. It looks like he is the last character on the planet. And he is sort of rummaging around, you know, these towns that have no people living in them. And he has a dog that he takes care of. And he is also... He is building this robot to take care of the dog. And at one point, a storm comes in. They have to get out of this bunker because they will have no food to go for. And they decide to leave for better places. And that's kind of the story. It's a, it's a father-son relationship that starts to build. And it's, uh, but it's a, the, the son is a robot. And uh, the father is played by Tom Hanks. And the robot that he's building needs to take care of his dog because he has an ailment that we don't totally get. It doesn't totally get revealed in the film what's going on, but we know that he's he has a health problem yeah. and won't be around for a long time and, and loves this dog and wants to take care of the dog. So it's a very personal, very intimate, almost kind of a very small story, but set in a world that is post-apocalyptic like, yeah. like it really could be this giant epic sci-fi yeah. film but it is very much not it's almost like this story could be told in in any sort of small environment it doesn't yeah. the fact that it's happening in a post-apocalyptic world is almost like an aside to the story it, it, it really has nothing to do with the story yeah, that's right it's a really interesting approach that's why also i get a little bit you know i read some of the reviews as you do and you know, there's people that sort of focus on, uh, you know, the minutia of like, you know, can he really live in this suit? Can he really be outside? You know, it's radiation. It's like, you know, can this really, can, you know, it's not about that. It's really, to me, what, what spoke to me is this story, this very human story. And that we always talk about it. it's like a very large movie, but it's kind of tiny. You know, it's really about three people and, and. That was also my intention to um, keep it as a small movie. I didn't have to like, I just wanted to, with the cinematography, I just wanted to stand back a little bit. 
And I still needed to draw the audience in, but I felt like I'm just recording this little sort of um, family movie. That's how we looked at it. It's a little family movie about life. That's it. Mm. And we've seen Tom Hanks in, I don't even know if I could call it a similar role, but in Castaway, he's again, it's his show. He's yeah. He is the movie. And he kind of has these inanimate objects that are his world. Yeah. And he sort of creates a world where there's no humans around. And we've sort of seen him in this environment yeah. a little bit. Finch is certainly a different story completely, but I bring it up because you have obviously a list, like the 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 upper, upper echelon of sure. uh, you know acting talent in our world, certainly Tom Hanks. And he's going to give you amazing performances for sure. But when you come into a story like this, where it's basically him the whole time, does that change the way you think about the cinematography? Because you now have to film this one character for two hours with no other humans and keep it engaging, keep it interesting, even with somebody like Tom. Yeah. Do you worry about that as a cinematographer? I mean, there was two things that I worried about. One that, you know, the robot wouldn't integrate. Because if the robot doesn't work, the movie falls apart. And the other mm. thing that I wanted to do was Tom needs to be, or Finch, relatable. You need to like him as a character. Because he is an older man. He can come across as a little bit grumpy, you know, and he can be, he can be you know, like with his son, he can be quite fatherly. And, and uh, uh, so those were the two things that I, I wanted to make sure that I created intimacy with Tom. And I think just with lensing it or the way we framed it and the way we always looked for that intimacy i think is what you know made us relate to tom well talk to me about that how do you create kind of an intimate you know framing or an mm -hmm. intimate uh, intimate sort of look in cinematography what does sure. that even mean and how do you achieve it well first of all i think you 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 have to try and stay away from artifice right so you got this big adventure movie and you could go all sorts of directions with that look. You could go, you know, glossy. You could go like as sharp with the lenses as you can. You can like, you know, but we decided to shoot it mostly handheld and we decided to stick with the story. Just stay with the story. Stay with Tom. Just stay with him. And like, you know, and, and if there's big moments, just be right there with him. If you look at the scene that's in the RV towards the end, um, you know, you just get right in there, you know, the hugs with the robot when he's, he's saying goodbye. You're just like, you go in there with the handheld, you just slowly push in and you just create that intimacy. There's no real, there's no big fanfare, there's no big sort of way of, you know, or trying to push emotion on, on, an, on an audience, you know, it's just, you have to, you have to slowly and gently give them this person. Mm. So you're going in closer with wider lenses is that's correct. what I was seeing when yeah, I was watching. That's right. And that gives you that intimacy. Yeah. Now, it certainly works. I mean, it, it's great in the film. It looks awesome. Um, and it's a great technique to sort of make you feel like you're very much in the scene. Mm -hmm. But I also think a lot of the film is almost voyeuristic in a way. It's certainly at the beginning of the film. Yeah. When you're in the, I guess the bunker. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like bunker. where it's he the lives. The underground bunker. Yeah, the bunker. Yeah. 
it it felt very much like you were kind of peering in on this this man yeah. in his natural environment and just kind of ex just watching him do what he does yeah. um which to me is almost like the total opposite approach being yeah. further away longer lenses it's also and observational you know it's like you observe this character i mean you can go from subjective to objective sort of you know camera m movement uh, or language um in this kind of movie and it was funny, one of the first days we shot in this bunker and we decided actually not to shoot all that handheld. It was more like, okay, let's establish this character and the lighting of it, same thing. I just let, let him move in this space. And I remember at one point somebody coming over to me and it was day one saying like, hey, yo, you know, it's a little dark. I can't see Tom. You know, he's, he's sort of in that thing by the fridge and I can't see him. I said, you'll see him later, I promise. You know, I want to like hold that back a little bit. You'll see him later, it's fine. Um, sometimes you just have to convince people of like that, you know, the arc you're going to create with a character rather than, no, no, I need to see Tom. Like I need to, every single moment I need to put, you know, put this light on him. No, let him exist in this space. And that's, that's naturalism. You know, that's like cinematic naturalism. It's not really documentary style, but it's definitely... Um, you know, something that's, you try and keep the, the movie out of it, even though it's cinematic. I mean, you're, you're using, you know, you're using anamorphic lenses, using all sorts of stuff, but it's really just to be, just, just, just stand back. Just like, just let it be, you know? Who was telling you it's too dark? I oh, mean, I obviously can. don't name names. Yeah, I'm just curious. No, it was a it, producer. It, it, it was a producer. The, it, yeah. See that that to me sounds like almost like a network note. Yeah. Like you know, someone someone that's thinking, listen, we paid all this money for this guy. I want to see him. Yeah. I want to make sure I see his face. Yeah. It sounds like one of those things. It doesn't sound like it's coming from necessarily a creative place. No, it sounds, no, no. It's more it's coming more from like a, a fear money place. place. Like oh, you know, we're I'm here yeah. to sort of you know I I gotta protect this project. But I think tone of a film and 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 emotion you get from a film is from those things. You know, it's like let those people exist in a real place otherwise you go back to like movies in the 50s that you know every single place or person had like a little spotlight on them and mm. i don't think that's you know that the audiences aren't you know they're maybe not smarter but you know just things have evolved and and what we can do with cameras as well and lighting i mean those days people were shooting on 50 asa film stock that's not the case anymore Exactly. You yeah. needed the sun to That's light right. anything yeah. back in those days. That's right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that bunker scene. And just to bring people up to speed, this is where Finch um, basically lives. It's protected from the outside world. So it appears as though it's underground is sort of the the feeling that I'm getting from it. Um, and it's that very feeling that I wanted to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. Because how do you approach an environment that is supposed to feel isolated? It's supposed to feel underground. You don't have the benefits of windows, mm -hmm. but you also have to light it in a way that feels homey. Yeah. It's it, it's sort of it's a it's an unusual sort of mix. Yeah. Um, it has to feel and look like a home, but it very much isn't, um, particularly because of having no windows yeah. and being isolated. So, uh, talk to me about the way that you lit that bunker scene. Um, to give it that feel and make it make it work within the character's uh, world. Well, there was two different parts to the bunker. There was his living quarter, um, which I just lit with practicals. You know, it's I, I never used any movie lights. I just let it. I mean, movie lights. I mean, I used 
Astera tubes and I used light bulbs and sort of mixed color temperature a little bit. But it, like you say, it needed to feel homely. It couldn't be this constant, um, you know, it needed to be like a womb, you know, and uh, not that we made it warm or we made it, but it, but it had to have a fuzziness to it. You know, he came in and he saw the dog and he hugs the dog and it needs to feel inviting rather than this bunker that's kind of like, all right, this is really the end of the world. Because the movie plays in the end of the world, but just like we are in this pandemic, we have come to accept certain things that are now normal and that we we live through. And it's not like we're not we're not lying in bed like with the covers over us for um, you know, twenty-four hours a day. We we live our lives and that's what Tom does. He goes out there and he tries to have a positive attitude towards, well, the end of the world. And so the inside needed to feel that way. And we just used practicals and made sure that it wasn't overlit. There's like pockets of light and it's somewhere where you want to sit down and he wants to have a little whiskey and he wants to, you know, enjoy himself. Then the other section was the, the sort of the science lab where he's building the robot. I needed contrast in there to kind of keep it because also he's lighting this thing with uh, windmills, you know, power that is generating himself, batteries. I couldn't sort of make it like a, like a, an overlit sort of environment. It always wanted to have pockets of light, like little pockets of light around his desk. And it wanted to feel like, and, and it was funny when we were shooting it, there was moments where it was like, I looked at it and it was like, it sort of looks like a Spielberg movie from like, you know, and, and so that has a little bit of that warmth to it. And it felt, it felt a little bit like an old movie. And, um, I, I kind of enjoyed that it that that it didn't necessarily feel very modern either, but it felt warm and it felt a nice spot to be. Yeah, I agree with you. It does have a little bit of that '80s mm -hmm. Spielberg movie-ish yeah, sure. feel, and I think yeah. what was giving that to me was the color palette. It, it sort of had there was a lot of warmth and a mm -hmm. lot of color in there. Yeah. Also, even just like the set design and stuff, like mm -hmm. it wasn't. You didn't know. It did the did the world end in nineteen ninety two? I don't know. Did yeah. it end in twenty forty? Who no one you don't know. Yeah. Um and it, it it and it's like everything is kind of old and dusty, but at the same time not ancient. Like it's it, the whole thing kind of feels like you said, it's that it's a sci-fi movie that is very, very grounded. Yeah. And it's uh it's an unusual mix. You had mentioned earlier in some of the reviews that you were reading, are you the are you the type of person that always likes to look at the reviews of the films you work on? I mean, I look at some of them for sure. I read some of that stuff and you want to sort of, it's probably a wrong thing. I don't know, but, but I, but I do. Um, I don't read all of them, but I do sort of, I felt with this bunch of reviews that were sort of on the negative side, some of them, um, I felt like they, they were, like I said, you know, it's like, who cares, like, if this RV can really, you know, like, where does it get the fuel? Well, it's solar powered. It's like, and it doesn't go into like, okay, the, the suit, it's just, it is. And I think an audience has to accept that kind of stuff. Like, just sit down. Don't be sitting there watching a movie and like analyzing every single beat and just enjoy this kind of movie. Just like let let these people, it's it's quite um, reflective or or you know, where you, you think it's introspective, it's, it's, you think about life. I mean, I have kids, 
you have parents, you have it's it's a little bit like, yeah, why well, you know, this, these things make you think about life. Now they're not the you know, but it it also it doesn't go too heavy either. Some of those sci-fi movies, and I love some of them, but they go to a very dark place. And this movie didn't go there. Like I said, it's like an acceptance of the end of the world. And they sort of, the two characters have start to have this, you know, we live in the present day as the characters, you know, they live their day-to-day life and the robot starts to have its own feelings or its own thoughts about life. But then they have this sort of joint horizon, you know, they have this thing that they want to, they, they, they obviously they want to go to a better future or something that that is better so that's the golden gate bridge you know they they want to you know and that's that's kind of like very human we all have our golden gate bridge we all have like you know relationships and the day-to-day stuff and then you have the stuff that's in the future and i think that's what makes this film relatable and beautiful did you have any visual references that you and the director were looking at prior to you know, it's funny, I, I, I used to come to a movie, before I'd read the script, I wouldn't even be in prep, and I would have a pretty solid idea of what I wanted it to look. And then I, I don't know, over the last few years, I kind of have sort of relaxed a little bit, maybe, and I kind of, mm. I, I go and hang out in the art department, and I look at their pictures on the wall, and I go to the costume department, and I'm like, oh, can I see the outfits, and I can see the clothes, and obviously the locations, and and so the, the 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 look sort of develops from that rather than I mean the references. There was one thing that I showed Miguel, and he keeps mentioning this, and I can't. There was a music video by Jamie XX uh, that's shot in China. It's uh, for um, I think it's Oh My Gosh or Gosh or I think that's the title of it. And he was like, Yeah, that's it. That's kind of like a cool sort of dusty. It needed to be dusty. It needed to feel hot. It needed to feel. Um, mm. That was kind of the only thing. I mean, you look at references of like oh, all of these movies, but I didn't really bring anything that was particularly um, specific from another project or another piece of art or another, you know, I kind of let it, I kind of let it sort of, all our work is, I mean, the work is quite intuitive, instinctive, what we do. It's, um, you know. So uh, it, it's I'm, lo- I'm looking up as we're as you're talking. I'm okay. looking up the Gosh video. Yeah, and it was more yeah, of a color I can, thing. I think maybe that he was relating to. Yeah, you know, because I never looked yeah, at that I again. It see- was like in prep, and it was like, yeah. I can see some similarities there, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, guys, so you can check it out. One thing I noticed is, um, you know, everyone in the world just saw Dune, right? Yeah. They have an idea of what a desert setting is. You now come to the table with a new interpretation of the desert. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and the film opens with a big giant, it's not really the desert, but it's, it's, it's I guess, deserted over, if that's a word. But yeah. he lives in St. Louis, right? Yeah, St. Louis. That's where Finch yeah. lives. So he's in St. Louis. It's post-apocalyptic. Everything's dry. There's sand everywhere. Clearly, there's big sand and windstorms all the time. That's how the film begins um, with kind of this chaos of sand and wind going all over the place. Can you talk to me about the practical challenges of shooting in an environment like that where there is 
artifacts in the in, in the air. There's uh, sand whipping yeah. in your face. There's big giant wind uh, windstorms going on, um, and you made the decision to be handheld. So there's yeah. quite a few logistical problems that I'm sure you had to deal with in that yeah. opening scene. I mean, we ended up having to hire somebody that would come in at night to clean everything out. And you can see some of the shots, particularly when you when when Finch walks from his truck to his bunker, where the sound sort of goes down. You don't hear anything. It's just like this kind of almost like a like a slow-mo helicopter sound that he just sort of drags in. And Dave Thompson, the ACAM operator, he was in there with him. I mean, it was completely, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, and the amount of wind machines and the amount of dust and sand and, but it was, it was fantastic the way, and then, you know, shooting the handheld was so much fun. I mean, it was, it was tricky because the cameras had to, you know, they, they were all wrapped up and packed up and the cleaning and, and the glass and, but it all added to this, it felt so real. You know, and the, the 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 glass just you could see it. There's like a bit of backlight on it, and you see it, it's just full of dust and full of. And I think you know we kept it. It was definitely challenging. Um, so that was all practical. It was a lot of practical dust. Well, not all, but not all. It, but it, yeah, it was... we definitely had large wind machines, large particles flying through the air. Um, yeah. It was. How are you protecting the camera during that? I mean, how are you like? Are your are your operators like wearing protective suits? Oh yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you like, constantly. What are I you mean, doing? It's, it's it's full like, uh, you know, full masks. Like you know, that that that. I don't even know if he had, that, but it was definitely like. I mean, it's full mask, full visor. The camera's completely wrapped up, and then he's in there handheld. And then his, his, you know, and he would, I mean, at the end of the day, he would just be like beat, you know, it would just be beat up because because it, it was hard. It was in Albuquerque. Um, you know, it was, yeah, it was something else, but, but fun. And I, I love the way that material looks. I love the way it has a, a beaten up feel to it. Everything is, a, it's like you've gone on the film or on the project with sandpaper and you've taken all the gloss off. And, and that to me is, is again, it's, it's feeding into the idea of, uh, you know, creating this world that you take the audience into. It's such a great opening scene. Yeah. I love that just the whole sequence from that, the, when you first establish where he is, you don't know who the character is. I mean, you know, it's a Tom Hanks movie, yeah. obviously going into it, yeah. but if for some reason you didn't know that there's yeah. a little bit of mystery to who is this man. Yeah. And then it sort of unwrap, you know, it, 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 um, unfolds as you go into his yeah. home environment. It's just a great, great sequence. Yeah. And you almost think to yourself, like you think, you know, what the movie's about over the course of the first half hour you sort of realize, yeah. oh, that's that's not really what the movie's about. It keeps yeah. it keeps kind of changing yeah. until you actually get to the storyline. Let's take a quick moment and talk about MZ empowering filmmakers. Now, you want to think of MZ as the hub of filmmaking education. When you go to MZ, you are faced with hundreds and hundreds of hours of high-quality, video-based filmmaking education in all the topics that are perfect for us here at Go Creative Show. Things like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and so much more. And it's not just the courses, it's not just the topics, it's also the educators. 
because we're talking about people at the top of their game working in the industry right now, sharing their experiences with you. People like Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom, Tom Cross, the editor of La La Land and No Time to Die, Whiplash, all sorts of things. It's just full of really A-list you know, people in the industry educating you and giving you a little bit of their insights and experiences. Like it's, it's incredible what you can get at MZ. Now, there's two ways to experience MZ. MZ. One, of course, is um, buying individual courses. And that's a great way to do it, certainly. But the way to really experience what MZ is all about is becoming an MZ Pro member. Because when you're an MZ Pro member, you have access to everything, everything on the site. So it's great for like, if there's a topic you're not, you're, you're into a little bit, you know, like you want to dabble in color grading. You don't necessarily want to buy a whole course in it, but you want to kind of just experience it, maybe a couple lessons. An MZ Pro membership is perfect because you can just kind of explore all these different topics. And it's a great way to learn. Now, anything you buy, you can get a 20% off discount by using GCS20 in uh, your promo code area in checkout, GCS20 for 20% off. And the place to do it at, the place to go to, I guess is the better way to say it, is gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, M-Z, empowering filmmakers. Let's talk about the camera package that you used for Finch. I want to know about the cameras, the lenses, sure. the choices you made, and why. Again, I, want to, I wanted to shoot anamorphic. Two reasons. One, the landscape, particularly when we get out into the world. You want to see that large landscape. You want to see the horizon. You want to see you've been in this bunker for a while. You want to see the horizon. You want to see that widescreen uh, image. So that was reason one. And then two, I wanted to put more artifacts on the, on the lens to integrate the robot so that VFX had a harder time doing it. Of course, I mean, we discussed this all, but it, it makes it harder. They have to put those bends. They have to put those flares. They, have to, they put all of this on top of the character. And it integrates much better that way. If you shot this on the cleanest uh, spherical lens that you could, it would all start to feel a little bit sterile. So again, it's like taking the, uh, you know, the sandpaper to it. And we shot Mini LF. And then Dan Sasaki rebuilt these T-series lenses to fit a 4K width of the sensor. This was a Miguel thing. It was like, no, I want to shoot large format. I want to like... And uh, so I went to Dan and I said, hey, I know you got these lenses, but then... He didn't have them because Greg had all of them on Dune. So then I... Uh, Goddamn Greg damn taking Greg, everybody's you know, equipment. Like, yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, but he said, I've got this other thing. He said, I'm working on this thing. And it's like, do you want to check it out? And I said, sure. So we had like three, four lenses that were done. It was T-series expanded to a 1.8 squeeze. I looked at them. We stood in the car park at Panavision and uh, we did a little bit of testing of course, testing is always different from you're in the field and you're doing it. Pretty mm -hmm. much when we were loading the camera truck, well, the guys were loading the camera truck, he, they ran in with the last lens and it was finished, you know. So I hadn't really used the lenses all that much. So I was really discovering them as 
and discovering some of the artifacts that I personally I was like, oh man, I don't know, is this okay? Like, does it? As you can see in the movie, there's a lot of vignetting. There's like bits of yeah. lens coming in. And I said to Miguel, you know, we can get rid of some of that stuff. He said, oh, I love it. Just keep that all in there because it all adds to just just texture and layers and and uh, you know. So we had a couple zoom lenses because we we did a few crane shots and some pursuit work and. So we had a 37.5 to, I think it's 85, also an expanded lens. We had a 70 to 200. I think that was kind of it. We did some drone work, which I used to do drone work with the big, you know, choppers and then I, or the, the big, you know, the heavy lifter thing. And now I've sort of gone a little bit more, well, there's these 6K cameras, they can fly. They just go out there and just go. You don't need a full big crew to, to man it and... Ian Seabrook did um, the second unit. He was actually the B cam operator, and he he's done some second unit for me as well. And he just went out there and shot a bunch of RV stuff driving, and he used some drone drone work there. Can you talk to me about um, any filtration that you used? Did you toss any filters on those lenses? No filtration. I I mean the only Nothing. thing would be NDs. I don't mm. think. I mean every time. Sometimes I'm like, oh hey, I call up my first AC and I say. I want to test some diffusion out. And then I like, you know, I go through the motion and I'm like, I can't stand it. Like I just, I cannot, I can't do it. It's just like, to me, it adds. What do, why do you hate it? It just adds artifice to me. It's not real. It's not like it's, I want to keep things. I don't know. It takes me out of the world of like, oh, you know, mm. because you're trying to hide something or you're trying to do something. And listen, I've seen projects that have used it, um, you know, they use this diffusion filter on, um, uh, what's the TV show with Killian uh, Murphy? Oh. oh, God. Oh, it's on the tip of my Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yep. Um, Peaky Blinders. And they use this filter. And I'm like, all right, let me test this thing. And it looks great in that show. And then I'm like, I can't do it. Just can't do it. Can't go there. I need, I, I want to... I don't know. It's a. It's not like a purity thing, or it's not like I'm. I'm. But it, every time, also, it it starts. It doesn't work in all situations. Like, oh, now I'm shooting outside, sun hitting this filter, and oh, it's a mess. You know, I prefer doing things with lighting. Or also, I you know, I don't mind things. I mean, you can see it in the movie. It's not all because people have told me like, oh, the movie is so beautiful, and sometimes that sort of irks me a little bit because. It's not all beautiful. Sometimes it's a bit gritty. It's a bit dirty. It's not perfect. It's a little flawed. It's not, I'm not looking for, oh, I need to light Tom every time in the perfect way. It's perfect for the movie, according to me. Not all of it, because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's never fully perfect, the movie. There's all, I call them uh, nails in my coffin. There's these shots that you just like, you just can't like get it. Like what? You know? Point to one. We'd love to... Well, you know, there's a sequence that was probably the hardest for me to shoot, um, which was the chase sequence. They're followed by a car, and we started the sequence in dusk, and then it goes into night, and then it goes into which we had to do day for night in color timing, and then it goes into real night because we had to shoot real night because we need to, you know... And then a lot of that sequence is also shot on stage. All the, we had some technical difficulties with the RV, and at one point it was like, all right, we got to shoot more of the RV. It, it started overheating. So mm. we needed to shoot more stuff on stage. So we ended up shooting a lot of that RV footage 
on stage. And that sequence has, we were supposed to shoot it in Toronto, the overpass. We scattered Toronto and then we scattered Denver. And in the end, we ended up shooting it five minutes from where we lived and in Albuquerque under this underpass. It was a very difficult location. There was going to be moments that there was going to be flat lighting or frontal lighting. I, you know, and those things are, you know, they're just a compromise. But yeah. it, it's, I think every movie has that. Although I watched Dune and I was like, wow, man, there's not a shot here that doesn't. It, it's so consistently good. You know, like it's, I told Greg that. I said, like, it's incredible how, how it's so, it, it just looked great. You know, like every single shot. I don't see a beat that you missed. Um, there's always, in, yeah. you know, I always have some shots in my movies where I'm like, oh, man, I wish that, I wish that wasn't in there. But they probably just bother you and yeah, probably. no one else even yeah, probably. notices those. Yeah, probably. So that's interesting. So you, so you shot portions of the RV stuff within an actual RV and then yeah. it just became problematic and you ended up rebuilding it on a set? Well, we always shot on the actual RV, which, which sort of brings me to, you know, there was, we always knew there was going to be some stuff shot on stage in the RV. It's just, you know, for timing for, but some stuff was shot for real. And then, the, you know, we'd have the, the biscuit or the pod that would be either on top of the RV or in front of the RV, and then it would get painted out because Tom couldn't drive the thing. Um, sure. Or the robot couldn't drive the thing. I mean, the robot would be driving, you know, the, the driving lesson. That's, you know, we, we did that on actual location. We rigged cameras off the side, and we, we shot it as if it was a car shoot. But some of it was shot... Um, particularly when the RV was static, a lot of that was shot on stage. The confession, all of that stuff was shot on stage. But then the big, uh, the trust scene, we took the windows out, put three cameras in and shot it on stage. Um, oh, wow. And but we're, tell me your question again, because I, I feel like I've sort of wandered off. No, we did wander off. I don't even remember what my original okay. question was, yeah. but it's fine. Yeah. We, I liked where we went, so we're yeah. good. But what I do want to talk about is working with that robot because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, basically, Tom Hanks' co-star is a robot. Yeah. And um, I was reading about it. It was mostly motion capture, yeah. um, you know? So there is an actual being in the space that Tom can interact with. Yeah. But um, I don't think we ever really talked about motion capture on this show, at least in depth. And I'm just curious from from you know a director's of a director of photography's perspective, what are the challenges, or you know how do you properly film mm -hmm. a character in a in a motion capture suit? I mean, funny enough, for me, it was really easy because we decided really? early on that the method of shooting handheld was going to be the method and that they would basically, they would shoot plates, they would shoot motion capture. There was some cameras that were pointing at, um, you know, Caleb who had the dots on and he would, he would, you know, do his performance. There was a couple of things he couldn't do, like walk in front of Tom because then, you know, even though there is a couple of shots where it's done, but we had no green screens because of the robot. We had some other green screens, but not because of the robot. We just had the actor do his performance. And Miguel would like, for him, it was really important. We would do like five, 10, 12 takes sometimes. And I'd be like, Miguel, 
I got to shoot. The sun's going down. There was the scene where, where he was sitting in the RV while Tom is inside. And it was on this beautiful landscape. I said, Tom, uh, Miguel, the sun is dropping. I need, he says, yeah, but I need to performance. I need to performance. And I'm like, and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Because how can you otherwise, it's impossible mm. to cut a movie like that without, let's just say you put a stand in there that's just kind of standing and reading lines or you put nobody there. First of all, it's very difficult to act. Second, it's very difficult to, where's camera going to go? And how do you relate to that? And so it needed to, yeah, I, I, you know, because how do you draw these characters in post if, you know, they, they become stick figures? So mm. Caleb mm. really gave the character life. I mean, it's super fun to, to do it. That, oh, that must have been a blast. Yeah. Now, yeah. do you have do you have something on set that you're reviewing what you know the final look may be? Like do you you know the um, a lot of people are incorporating Unreal Engine onto mm -hmm. their sets yeah. and kind of do you have something like that so you can see a little bit more of the texture? No. No. No, nothing. So uh, you got so this guy Caleb, in, a, in a, 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 a guy in a weird suit. We got him to the right height so he's walking on stilts. The only thing that was kept was the hands. Because the mm -hmm. hand, so he fit these gloves on, Caleb did, because, you know, he's touching stuff and he's shaking his hand and, you know, that's, that was the only thing. I think sometimes maybe his feet were kept because then, the, and then the rest was replaced. We would shoot, mm. we would clear everybody out and they would shoot empty plates so that they can fill in where the robot was missing. But I must say that the robot, because, you know, we shot this movie three years ago and maybe not three two and a bit. And mm -hmm. I think the robot looks, looks amazing. I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's the motion it really and is. everything and the way it's it just everything. I think it's amazing. It's so fluid. And the other thing yeah. about the robot is over the course of the film, it becomes more human-like yeah. in its speaking and its motion as well. Yeah. So it starts very robotic, like the way we all sort of interpret, interpret what yeah. robots look like. And over time, be, becomes very much just another human character yeah. in the space. So yeah. there is a lot to the performance and the physicality of yeah. that character. I have a question about the plates. Mm -hmm. um, so you're shooting handheld. Mm -hmm. So how are you getting accurate plates? I mean, I'm sure visual effects people listening are probably like, that's the dumbest question ever. But I truly am like mesmerized by this. Mm -hmm. If you're shooting handheld, there's no real consistency from shot to shot. Yeah. Um, so how are you getting realistic plates that can you be just, used? You just, you know, you have the operator repeat what he did. And then he would like, you know, sometimes he would do static plates where he would do, basically, he would just roam around and, and build a bit of a world. So it'd be like, okay, three seconds here, three seconds there, three seconds, you know, mm -hmm. and just move around. So he would have the whole world. And then sometimes he would do the whole motion of like, uh, you know, that's skill, that's experience, that's, and they, they then, I'm sure they did stills as well. They do the HDR, they do like the, you know, with the super wide lens on there and they start doing, mm -hmm. you know, stills and they use that as well. They do the silver balls, they do the color chart, they do. Yeah. Yeah. But they let us be free, which I think was rather than. You know, people think, oh, we got to do this motion control, or you got to do it as lock off, so you got to do it as. No, they just said, okay, we 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 buy into this. It's going to take time. Um, it's going to be painful at times. For example, the the shot that apparently it took a year to finish it is the hug between 
Finch and Jeff in the desert. It took a year? Yeah. Because just imagine the actors are doing this hug, right? So you got Caleb's head that's against Tom's face. Tom is yeah. not acting against air. So whatever Caleb did, the robot had to do. If anything sort of moved, it was that you'd have to put a little cable or a screw that hit, you know, like Tom's beard or go and look at it and you'll see it. It's like, it's, it all looks very natural, but that took a while. And I, that's, that's to, wow. the, to, to, you know, Scott, who was the VFX supervisor to just stick to it and to really, to build that robot and for the audience. I, I love the way some of the reviews were kind of negative about the robot. I'm like, well, that kind of I'm I'm think we made it work because you think that this robot is good. He's just not saying the right things. You didn't say that the robot didn't look real, you know. What were the negative comments about the robot? I actually read pretty positive comments. Oh no, on listen, the film. I, I've read mostly positive reviews as well. I don't want to like suddenly feel like as if there was a. But uh, it's the negative ones that stick with you and yeah, probably annoy you. Yeah. That's the ones of course a like, hundred oh. positive ones and yeah. one negative yeah, you like exactly. damn it i could have yeah. got that hundredth person <laughs> um, <laughs> um all right yeah. so i want to dive a little bit more into the way that you light this robot because like you said it's um, an actor in motion a motion capture suit is that even the right term i don't know if i'm saying the no, right I thing think, but yeah, yeah correct okay yeah. so you've got an actor wearing this suit um your height is correct You've got the hands, the the gloved yeah. hands that that are practical, yeah. and sometimes the feet, like you mentioned. I think I also saw like shoulder pads or something. Yeah, there was some that's right. some some of the arm yeah. was there. Also, um, he had the mask on. You know, he had like the mask. He could see through the mask, and so his face wasn't Caleb's face. It was this this sort of uh, orange shell. So that's what I wanted to talk about because mm -hmm. how are you lighting it? Like, how how do you light this character that isn't really there and you know so much is going to be replaced? Do you have to change the way you light it all? No, you light it like as if it's the real robot. And they really? go and use that lighting. There was one scene in particular, the confessional, where he sits. Because, you know, that was one of the things. You know, in the back of the RV is these little, I don't know what you call that in English. The... In between, Those, like ropes yeah that, the um, ropes that sort of are between spaces to keep people use that stuff to keep yeah, flies out like from the, the beads the, the beads, beaded that's right be, yeah. yeah i know what you're talking about yeah and so caleb was sitting behind those and i said but scott why don't we take those things out man it's like it's right in front of him like it's gonna be a nightmare you're gonna have to like rotor that stuff out beat by beat <laughs> says yeah that's fine that's what we're gonna do and when we were shooting it i was like oh man i feel this is too dark and we were in it i was in it and it was like okay well i mean this is probably the darkest moment in the movie or or at the same time maybe hopeful i don't know um because the robot says i think it's like finch i believe in you you know so mm. that was quite hopeful but it was so dark in there with caleb and i was like scott i i don't know if i want it if i want him that dark to be honest and then we looked at the finished movie the way he did it and i was like it looked great it is dark but i think it's just right and they, i think they put yeah. a little eyelight in his eyes and that kind of made you connect a little bit easier with him you can go really dark if you have that little bit of you know ping in the eye which i don't strive for all the time but in those cases it can be helpful i mean if you're gonna light the character's dark. I, mean, I guess it would have been weird if you lit that moment really brightly mm -hmm. 
just because you couldn't necessarily see the robot so well. I yeah. mean, it's kind of supposed to be the, I mean, it's an inside of an RV. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. it's, yeah. It, it kind of is what it is. And you're going with that naturalistic look. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, it is fascinating to me that something like having that beaded wall, I guess, for lack of a better word, you yeah. guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like when they have a bunch of beads hanging down, you kind of push them aside um, to get through. When When you're looking at that and you're like, we could just take that out, like just get rid of it. And it makes the shot so much easier in post. It's yeah. to, to make the decision to leave it is a bold, inexpensive decision that really, that really yeah. lends to Miguel's commitment to being real and grounded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to, I, to, to the, I mean that that's a that's a huge expense <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to do the, to do the yeah. visual effects like that. Somebody is like, like sitting is there, not, like you know, and it's not like we put some green screen there or anything. Nothing. It's just shoot, and it's dark, and they got to find the edges, and they got to nothing is is moving, and there's motion blur in there, and maybe that helps actually. Um, but yeah, I mean that scene also. There is a scene where the first connection where the dog actually allows. Uh, Jeff to be, you know, he put, he puts that wet towel on his on his forehead, you know, and he comes in there. He's yeah. like he doesn't know what to do, and he goes in there, and he put. That's another one where you know he's really in contact with Tom. He's touching him. He's like he's there, and he puts his hand on there, and then the dog looks over to him like, mm, am I going to bark? Am I going to? Uh, am I going to? You know, let him do this or not? And then they, that's that little bit of trust that starts building. Now, the other co-star in this film is the dog, yeah. <laughs> which is something I want to talk to you about as well, because I've had a little bit of experience uh, directing dogs and uh, for commercials. Right. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, they are unpredictable. Yeah. Even the most talented uh, on-camera dogs yeah. are just unpredictable. For people that haven't had that experience at all, what, what have you found to be you know, the most kind of challenging part of filming animals? I mean, funny enough, the first week it was like, I, and that was this particular dog. He was quite dark. He was quite hard to light. He was quite hard to get, you know, and suddenly I'm talking about, oh my God, I'm going to have to put eye lights on this dog. I'm going to have to really to give that dog emotion and for the audience to connect with this dog. The first couple of days in the bunker, it appeared, it was like, oh, Tom is fine there in the dark, but the dog kind of, I don't know, I think I need to light this dog a little bit more. I need to give him a little more fill or I need to give him a little eye light. But he was an amazing performer. And a funny story about uh, Seamus the dog, which is his real name, was a rescue dog. And they found his dog and they presented three dogs to Tom Hanks. And he picked that dog. He picked the dog. It was one dog throughout the whole thing? We had other dogs to kind of like, you know, but our dog was so good. Our Seamus was so good. I think he did, I'm going to say he did 99% of the work. We had like some stand-ins, wow. other dogs that were, but Seamus was just so good. He was great around us. We would be in the RV. He would just hang out. He would just sit on the chair. There's some good pictures of him just hanging out. And um, he became like the RV, the, the pod became this, you know, that's where it really became a small movie. It was mm -hmm. just, you could only fit eight people in there. It was like the sound guy or the boom guy. You had like the operator, the first AC, there was me, the director, the actors, and then the, um, the, um, the, the dog. dog trainer, sorry, and the yeah. dog, of course, and the trainer. Um, 
And it just became this, you know, and Tom hung out with us. I'd be in the back sort of fiddling with lights because I do like sort of playing around and moving stuff myself and screwing in bulbs. And, and uh, Tom would be asleep there on the bed just hanging out with us. And, and it was like it became this little family. It was this little traveling circus. It was a really good experience. I mean, That's- it was a tough movie to make. I think they probably all are. Um, some a little harder than others. But the, I definitely come away from this movie that I would work with these people again. And that's a, I think that's really important. The journey is equally as important as the end result. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when you're working with, the, when you're working with Seamus, our dog, mm-hmm. our dog uh, actor here, are there accommodations that need to be made? Like, do they have special amount? Like, like when you work with kids, there's only so many hours you can have them on set. Are there certain things like that with animals that restrict your normal working day? I don't think so, actually. That's a good question. No. But I don't think so. Well, I noticed, the reason I ask is because, I mean, we're doing commercials, so we're only yeah. like one or two 10, 12-hour days. Yeah. It's Nowhere near a film, but sure. um, what I noticed in this film is there's quite a few like reaction shots where the dog is, there's nobody else around. It's just yeah. the dog. You're getting a lot of reactions. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, did they just bang out 20, 30 of these reactions with like a second unit and just plop them in as necessary? Because it, it's, it felt like there were times where you were, you know, filming the dog for a reaction that, that was it's sort of independent of the scene. We did that sometimes. But there was even in prep, Miguel had had an idea of like, I need another unit that's going to stay behind, shoot stuff with the robot, shoot stuff with the dog, like, you know. Mm. And, you know, there's always limitations. There's always budget limitations. There's practicality limitations. It's like, yeah, but the trainer and this camera crew there and this camera crew there, it's like, it just became another character and we just shot him like an actor. Like he was there, uh, you know, so most of the time, we just shot him, you know, like, all right, we're done with Tom. We're done with Caleb. Let's shoot the dog. Let's shoot a few shots with him. We did do a few takes like where it was like, oh, we need, I mean, it's a while ago now, but there was definitely maybe some moments, but we sort of made him part. The only thing you had to do around the dog, you sort of had to, you know, stay quiet around the dog. Don't like try and feed him or don't try and, you know, keep him focused on the trainer. But he was, he was a, a lovely dog to be around. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun. Just good vibes on set. Yeah. A great movie. And it all kind of came together really, really well. And yeah. of course, I encourage you, all of you guys to check it out. It's on Apple TV Plus. It's called Finch. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about um is night exteriors, mm-hmm. uh, of which you do quite a bit. And um I'd like to just discuss uh, maybe one of the night exterior scenes and how you achieved that. I know you did some day for night, but yeah. I'd like to talk about like actual true evening exteriors. Yeah. And how did you approach that? Especially maybe in the interiors of the van, there were quite a few night exteriors where you kind of had to find light anywhere you can. I mean, it was an exterior, for example. Um, I won't go back to the, the scene that sort of gives me, you know, moments of nightmares. sadness nightmares <laughs> yeah. um it was the scene with tom by the fireplace you know by the the little campfire and that's sort of mm. lit by the aurora borealis you know yeah and i wanted it to have i wanted 
obviously I needed to see openness in that um, environment. I didn't want it to be too dark. So I had some ARRI 360Ss, they're the bigger sort of LED panels. I think we had three of them on a Condor that we sort of had to the right. And then we had the fireplace. And I had done this TV show called C, that we had done a, yeah. lot of, a lot of the fire sequences, fireplace sequences. We only used fire. And I showed this to Miguel and it was like, oh yeah, it looks great, let's do it. Let's do it, just a fire, it's gonna be great. Plus, of course, the, uh, the 360s that had a slightly greenish color because of the aura borealis. But of course, that night, there was a lot of wind, it was outside, and I had to supplement it a little bit with something else. Because otherwise, when the flame was going down, you know, it was constantly getting blown. It was kind of like on Tom's face. It was, But again, it was sort of trying to be real about the night. Well, I think it's interesting because you do have the fire and you've got that, um, the S360 up in the, up in the sky as well. Yeah. Was that just giving you general moonlight? Were you yeah. taking green from the Aurora Borealis yeah. or were you taking some firelight? No, general moonlight was mm. kind of like, so the, to, to have detail on the, on the landscape and on the, on the, on the RV, you know? That's the hardest part. Whenever I talk about night exteriors with DPs, it's always the challenge of like, how realistic is this night going to be? Because yeah. night is is dark. You can't see anything. It's pitch and that black. isn't yeah. great. It's yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's not that's not great for cinematography, no. especially when you're in an environment where there is no life. There's no cities. There's no yeah. lights anywhere. Yeah. It's just pure evening nothingness. Yeah. Um and you're also kind of in a situation where there's a lot of weather going on. I mean, that's kind of the premise of the film. There's yeah. a lot of issues, clouds going all over the place. So you don't really have like this beautiful, perfect, clean, clear night, yeah. except in this moment because the Aurora Borealis was visible yeah. and that was kind of the, the point of that moment. But the challenge is always how do you have enough light that it's realistic, but not too much that it doesn't feel like night anymore? Yeah, I mean, that's always the, the, the challenge of, particularly if you say, oh, I want to shoot in a naturalistic way. You know, if you said, oh, we're making a big Hollywood movie, let's put like a bunch of machines in there and it all looks like it's great. But when you try and keep anything artificial, um, which I, I have to go back a little bit to the other scene, which is by the overpass, it's like, I, it was also hard to hide machines. So now you're putting, you know, Big HMIs because you got to light the whole area and you're kind of front lighting it and you're trying to get some detail in there. You have to light the the so you, you have to go with the the convention of moonlight. You have to you have to kind of use that. And you can go with soft light or you can go with harder light. But in in this movie, like yeah, there is nothing. There's no city. There's nothing. The luck I had was I ended up using quite a lot of uh, a few lightning strikes. That gave me that extra detail when, because mm. I decided to shoot them almost full silhouette under that overpass before it started raining. Same thing. You sometimes you're like, you know, it feels kind of right. Let's just do it. And then Miguel was asked, yeah. Miguel, are you okay with this? Yeah, no, it's fine. Let's do it. And you know, those are nice moments on set as well of like to to kind of go for it and not like, oh well, no, I need to see them. Let's like push more light. And then it was the lightning strikes that would, you know, I would have the big lightning strikes in the back and then close to frame, I had a few um, smaller LED sky panels that would give the same thing. 
so I could raise them up a little bit and show detail. You don't have to see people all the time. You know? <laughs> I love that. I, I was talking to Ben Cutchins who shot White Lotus. Yeah. And I don't know if did you see that series at all yeah, on HBO. Sure. Yeah, it looks great. Um, it, there was, um, I asked him about why it, even at like at night scenes, when it seems like people are going to bed, there's still some sunlight outside. Like the right. sun is always kind of setting. It's in a, like a perpetual state of setting. Yeah. And I talked to him about the decision to, to, to do that. And it came down to something as simple as like, well, if the sun had set, you couldn't see anything. <laughs> like yeah. you, can't, there's, you can't see anything on the beach. It's hard to do a beach scene at night. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was just a funny thought. Cause you're like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like there yeah. really is nothingness when you look out into the ocean at night. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So ever since that conversation, I've become fascinated with night nice. exteriors. And yeah. I think you did a great job on those. And of course, the entire film, it really, it looks awesome. And the story is just, it's a great, warm, nice little family kind of story. It is. Um, wrapped yeah. in a post-apocalyptic world. And some, <laughs> somehow That's it all it. makes sense. Yeah. But it certainly does. The film is called Finch. It's on Apple TV Plus, and you guys should see it right now. You will absolutely love it. Yo, Willems. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I'd love to have you back. You're a lot sure. of fun to talk to. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, I have a website, yowillems.com. And then I have, uh, you know, some Instagram, yowillems, A-S-C-S-B-C. Nice. And we'll put a link to both of those That's in the show point. notes. Yo Willems, thank you so much for being on the Go Creative Show. Thank you. Excellent. Now, all I need from you is an intro. So look sure. right into the lens. Yeah. Your name, uh, director of photography of Finch, and end it with, and your watch, and, and, I'm sorry, and end it with, and this is the Go Creative Show. Okay. Let me write this down for a second. So my name, oh yeah. Name, title, film. Yeah. And this is the Go Creative Show. Okay. Can I do it? Hi, my name is Yo Willems. I'm the cinematographer on Finch, and you're watching the Go Creative Show. Great. One more time, and this is the Go Creative Show because uh, people are they also they listen and they also watch. Okay. Hi, my name is Yo Willems. I'm the cinematographer on Finch, and you're watching this. Is, oh, it's not it, right? This and is this the is the Go Creative okay. Show. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not a natural thing to say, but it helps. Okay. Hi, my name is Yo Willems. I'm the DP on, all right, let me do cinematographer. All right, I want to thank Yo Willems, director of photography of Finch on Apple TV Plus for coming on the show and talking to us today. I learned a lot. I hope you guys did too. And please go check out the movie. It's really, really great. You guys will love it. It looks awesome. And now that you know how it was filmed, it's going to make it even more interesting to watch. I also want to thank our producer, Connor Crosby, over at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, encourage you all to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also hit subscribe and YouTube so you never miss an episode. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And if you want to see what's going on with me, you can find me at Ben Consoli, at B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. For those of you that don't know, I own a production company here in Boston. Um, I'm a director and I'm also a producer too. So the stuff that I'm working on, I post on my Instagram all the time. So if you want to see what I'm doing, check it out there. 
I want to thank you all for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.